I'm Dr. Nadine Gonzalez Jesus, president of San Antonio College. Today we'll be speaking with Virginia Finster, marketing content creator at San Antonio College, and Melissa Flores Valencia, senior coordinator of the Empowerment Center at San Antonio College. Welcome back to Front and Center, where we talk about San Antonio College news, trends in higher education, and the community, because we are the community. Joined here this morning with Dr. Nadine Gonzalez de Jesus. Good morning. Good morning, Headmaster. It is so good to see you this morning. It is a pleasure. Absolutely. And it's really a pleasure because we have two very important and special guests with us this morning um, to acknowledge that the month of October is Domestic Violence Month. I thought it would be uh, very important for us to talk about it. And uh, for that, we have Miss Virginia Finster. She is a survivor. And uh, right now she works at San Antonio College as marketing content creator. We also have with us Melissa Flores Valencia. She is a senior coordinator of the Empowerment Center. Hello. How are the two of you doing today? Fabulous. And you, Ms. Flores? How I'm are doing you? well to have this opportunity to discuss domestic violence awareness. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. So it is a hard thing to talk about. However, it's important for all of us to be aware of what uh, domestic violence is and what it actually does to a human being, what it can do to both men and women and the children who might be involved. And I wanted to, uh, first and foremost, thank you, uh, Ms. Finster, for sharing um, your personal life and experience with us. We know that this is going to be a bit hard for you to talk about, but I want to thank you because it takes a lot of courage and boldness for you to be able to do this. Thank you again. Well, thank you for the invitation. It's an honor and um, and solidarity of all of those who have lost their life to domestic violence to be able to sit here today and have this discussion because of other individuals that have educated me and advocated on my behalf. It's, it's absolutely an honor. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, uh, Melissa, let me ask you this. What exactly um, why is it that we are going to be observing domestic violence during the month of October? It's a national event. Um, in 1989, they passed it for October to be National Domestic Violence Awareness. It's important that we um, break the silence um, and for um, allow us to encourage um, people to seek help if needed and that there is help for them. And um, for the month of October, the Empowerment Center, um, we, we have events to um, really help in the silence and to provide the resources for our students, our SAC community to be aware of. We have the Silent Witness Project. In that one, we have four silhouettes that's across campus, one in Fletcher, Moody, Advocacy, and the Nursing Allied Health. Um, these silhouettes, um, they share the story of victims who have lost their lives. And we have San Antonio College students who have lost their lives to domestic violence. Um, we have Christine Mesa, and I'll be discussing a little bit about um, the Christina Massa Foundation. And also we had Karen Ortiz. And we share these stories um, so um, individuals can be aware of, of 
what happens. Um, and um, and also, you know, the resources of getting help. We also have the Clothesline Project. Um, it's an in-person display. It's um, T-shirts that have been created by San Antonio College students, and we showcase that. We have some in the um, Student Advocacy Center and also in the um, Lofton Student Center. And some of these T-shirts have very powerful words on them, and it's um, and it's encouraging, um, and just to see the bravery that they have to showcase the, these T-shirts. We also have um, Go Purple Day, um, and we have that, and it's to really to um, it's wear purple to symbolize peace. Um, Courage, Survival, Honor, and Personal Dedication to Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so we are, we're grateful that we have that the purple light and display in the Moody Learning Center so we can let our SAC community, our SAC family know that SAC is here and we have support for them. Thank you. Absolutely. So let, let me ask you this, Ms. Fenster. What are some of the uh, things you'd like to share with us today? I understand um, you are a survivor. That's correct. Yes, I'd like to discuss a bit um, about my personal experiences and then some of the consequences uh, after those experiences with domestic violence, uh, the kind of the space it put me in emotionally and some of the decisions I wish I would have made. Um, so in 2011, uh, my son's father tried to suffocate me to death. And uh, my son was present in the room when that happened. He was only one years old. And I remember asking him if uh, I could just go to my car to get some paperwork. Uh, and he, of course, said no, no. And I, and I pointed to my feet and I said, I don't. I don't even have shoes on. Like, where where will I go? And so he, he opened the door to let me out to get the paperwork, and I remember just fleeing for help. Uh, ran all the way to the apartment complex's manager's office, you know, in a panic, asking them to call 911. And they're still trying to conduct a business, you know, and so I'm sure that also traumatized them. But, of course, you know, the police arrived, took my statement, thankfully got my son into a, a safe environment while they arrested his father, you know, and um, reflecting back, there were definitely lots of signs. Uh, I wish I would have made um, decisions earlier to leave that environment, and I did not. And so what we see more often than not is that this forms of abuse escalate especially when we start getting into the do domestic violence area, that that violence isn't going to go away. It only gets worse. Um, and so, you know, after that, it was being photographed in a manager's office naked, you know, so that they could take the pictures of all the bruises and statement upon statement, having to articulate details spanning back years, you know, and then discovering, you know, there's sexual violence that occurred as well, you know, and... Um, it's when you sit down with the professionals that, that see this day in and day out. First off, you realize you're not alone. Um, and there are things that just occur in a person's psychology. And I was, um, I was very much like everybody else, statistically speaking. Estrangement from friends and family. Um, after that situation, I sent my son to stay with my family. I did not feel... Um, that I deserved to be a mother. I um, 
I felt like nothing. Um, I thought it was my fault um, for everything that had happened. And instead of uh, connecting with resources and individuals that would have supported me through um, that very difficult time, I chose isolation. And it only reinforces the trauma and makes that healing uh, longer and harder to bear, you know. And thankfully for me, over time, that healing began, you know. But when I started as a student here at SAC to finish my associates in 2017, discovering the resources that we had on campus and the individuals that we have that are so well-versed and knowledgeable, you know, in forms of abuse, uh, I wish that I would have connected myself sooner because the outcomes for not only myself but my children would have been better. And, you know, being a student here, uh, you know some of the individuals that have then lost their life. You know the educators that have loved and supported them through that, um, and it's a fight that they did not win. And so then having a seat in a classroom, uh, you know, knowing that there was somebody else that just sat there and they'll never sit there again, uh, it does give you a different sense of, of courage, of advocacy, and you begin to understand the importance that education has in stopping those cycles of violence. Um, Many individuals that experience violence themselves and different forms of abuse will go on uh, to perpetrate um, those same actions. It's a learned behavior in a lot of senses. And so in that, uh, there is power in knowing that we can do something to put an end to it. Um, and it starts with education. It starts with that self-reflection, right? Like I was raised, um, my mother struggled with many things. But some of her struggles, you know, meant that we were exposed to being called very ugly names uh, or when we tried to keep her from leaving when she was inebriated, us becoming her punching bag, you know. And as a mother, um, knowing that these behaviors are learned, am I speaking to my children with love? Am I communicating that admiration and affection for them the way it should be? Or do I allow my life stresses to come across in a way that, that is inappropriate, you know? So constantly reflecting on myself, understanding that not only am I sur a survivor from partner violence, you know, but there's a level of that that it was in the family, right? And, and that's just on my side. That doesn't even draw into view, you know, what my son's father's family had been through. His mother had left a domestic violence relationship. When he was so young, he does not even remember his father, yet years later, you know, that is the way that he chose to behave, and recognizing that that is a choice, you know, and I'm grateful to be in an environment where we are surrounded with support now, and one thing I would want to articulate to people that are experiencing that is that the isolationism the feelings of worthlessness, uh, that's very common. You are not alone. You know, we look at statistics, and in the state of Texas, 40.1% of women or 34.9% of men will experience domestic intimate partner violence. Virginia, thank you so much for sharing the powerful words and also your testimony of resilience 
and determination to want to get out of a situation in which it put you and your child in danger for years. I want to go back to what you said earlier in which you stated, I wish I would have known the signs. What is it that you wish you would have seen early on in your relationship? There were many. Uh, one thing is uh, the words, the rhetoric individuals use. If I were to go have coffee with a friend and I would come back and question anything about the relationship or the status quo, it would be, who are you talking to? Who have you seen? Is this your mother? Is this your grandmother? Is this your, this is that one liberal friend. This is that one, it, it couldn't be my own thoughts, right? It couldn't be my own decision making. It was always somebody else that had planted a seed that, you know, what they were doing was wrong. So that is a big one. Another one is no one else will love you like I love you. You know, you have a kid and you're not married. Who's going to love you? You have no education. You have no job. Who's going to support you? You know, um, another thing is uh, taking cell phones, right? One of the things that I experienced the first time I tried to leave is my cell phone being taken to where I was not able to call family that lived out of town to come and get me um, for days and then not letting me leave the house. That was another thing preventing me from leaving. Um, financial control, you know, so um, bank cards being kept, control of the accounts in general, keys to cars being taken. Um, and those seem quite extreme, but they, <laughs> it happens uh, bit by bit until you realize, wow, I'm trapped. Abusers will find a way, and, and usually it's from more than one angle, to have that control to keep you relying on them. And so I would just uh, encourage, you know, individuals, if you're, you know, in a relationship or even if you're talking to somebody and you start to see that nobody is good enough, they're the only person that can make you happy. They're the only one that can meet your needs. Those are huge red flags. And uh, I would really encourage you to, to distance yourself um, before you get closer. And if you're already close, um, distance yourself nonetheless. Reach out to the resources that are available. Uh, until somebody knows that you need help, you are your number one advocate. There's power in that, reclaiming your autonomy, reclaiming your future, reclaiming the history that you'll write for yourself. Virginia, thank you for sharing those words indeed. Uh, so, so what I'm hearing is that at times you don't see it Absolutely. until you're out of it. And then you tend to look back and you say, oh my goodness, mm. I was trapped. Mm. Uh, the person used power, the threats, another way that a person is kept alone and distance is through isolation. Yes. And the control of finances, mm. the control of you're not going anywhere, give me the car keys, mm -hmm. and then just wanting to know exactly your every single move mm -hmm. and who are you on the phone with and who's texting you now, mm -hmm. right? Those are the red flags that many times when we are in a relationship, we believe it's because, oh, the person loves me so much. They're just so caring. Mm -hmm. They're possessive because they're just so in love with me. Right, and that is the romanticizing yes. of, of violence. When in reality, it is not romantic at all. Absolutely, love bombing is what we we call it a lot, right? And if you've grown up in an environment where you did not feel that level of love, it can be very inviting at first, right? All oh, this person cares, but understanding that it that's not a healthy relationship with love. Obsession is not healthy, and. Um, 
you know, then we see it manifest itself in, in the in the ways that they think they have control over you, that you're some uh, you're, you're an object to be owned. You're not a person with feelings or with thoughts, with uh, dreams. You are their possession. And again, once you've, you know, been in that environment where you start to tell yourself that's real, it can be very challenging unless you're willing to navigate those resources to leave. Alyssa, what exactly is available to anyone that is going right now through the experience of domestic violence? Yes, um, there's National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's 24-7. It's available in 200-plus languages. It's 1-800-799-7233. 1-800-799-7233. We also have San Antonio Violence Prevention. It's also available 24-7. Their number is 210-733-8810, 210-733-8810. Excellent. So could you tell us a bit more about the Christina Meza Memorial Scholarship, Melissa? Yes, Christina Meza was a student at San Antonio College. She was a nursing student, and in February 2011, she lost her life to domestic violence. She broke up with her boyfriend. Um, she was aware of his controlling and abusive ways, and he ambushed her. And her family, in her memory, to help fight, to end the silence, to end the violence. And they created the Christina Massa Foundation. And we, um, the Empowerment Center, we ran the 11th Annual Purple Run and it helps raise money for a scholarship. And so with the funding from the Christina Massa Foundation and the Empowerment Center, we have two $1,000 scholarships that will be awarded. The Christine Mesa's Memorial Scholarship was established as a legacy to carry on the memory of Christina Mesa, former SAC nursing student who was killed in a senseless act of of domestic and intimate partner violence. It also serves to honor her mother, Laura, um, who's committed to her life to combating domestic violence. Um, They have to be a SAC student, completed a minimum of nine college credit hours, a GPA of a 2.0, currently enrolled is six or more credit hours, must be a SAC student who has alt- whose life has been altered due to domestic violence, intimate partner relationship or situation, and they submit a minimum of 500-word essay. Um, if they go to the Empowerment Center website, they will see the scholarship QR code, and they can also call the Empowerment Center, 210-486-0455, and we can provide them information regarding the scholarship. That's excellent. Thank you so much. It's my understanding that the state of Texas has a high rate of domestic violence, but also there, one of the counties that has the highest percentage of instances. What are some of the signs we can pay attention to to identify those who might be going through this and we may not know about it? They don't want to talk about it. What is it that we can look for and identify to help us help them? I think one of the things that I've seen, um, you know, with students and family, friends who have experienced is that isolation, the avoidance. It could be from missing classes. It could be from not participating in family events. Um, and so I think that's one of the signs is that is that self-isolation um, where they, they, do, they avoid when they need us the most is when they, they avoid us. And so I think that's one sign to look for besides the 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 physical signs, right? You may see bruising, the long t-shirts to hide the bruising on the arms, 
But I think those are some things to look for. Thank you for that information. I appreciate you sharing signs that we should look for and be aware of. Virginia, I know you went through this on your own, and I know that you have a lot to share. What were some of those things that you tried to hide? Trying to hide the bruises that you can't see, the impact that that has on you uh, that sticks around for a very, very, very long time. I think I gaslighting can... is another thing. Yes, yes. It's huge, you know. It's, For sure. Well, the, the sun is shining. No, it's not. It's right. raining. Right. You know, that's, that's a huge sign. And again, it doesn't, it's not like you have a, a bruise that you can cover it up with a shirt. It's something that can really go unseen. Absolutely. I think it's important, though, that when we talk about these things that, that we understand it happens to both men and women. Absolutely. And and at times for a man to talk about these Mm -hmm. things, it must be hard, right? Because of the stigma uh, attached to being a male, you're supposed to be the strong one. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to be the one that that rolls with the punches, right? Mm -hmm. And in reality, as men, men can also go through violence. Oh, yes. And I've worked with an individual and he would come in and have a black eye and it became uh, a joke. You know, everybody would laugh at him and call him names because of, it. you know, what he experienced and, and he thought he loved her so he didn't want to leave her and, you know, but but watching the physical toll that it took on him and emotionally as well, um, it made me quite sad to see that, you know, it was, it was a different s- stigma for men um, than for women. It's upsetting because it's going to continue. And a victim is a victim. It doesn't matter, you know, if, if you're male or female, like, you know, that hurts you all the same. It hurts your family and friends. And uh, I think that there is so much strength when an individual can say, no, that's not appropriate. You're not going to do that to me. And then they take the steps uh, to leave that situation. And again, that's a way that we start to reclaim that power and, and end that. And so I think it's a very important conversation to have about, you know, whether you're male or female, it's not appropriate for somebody to put their hands on you. It's not appropriate for people to put you down, tell you that you cannot succeed, you cannot, you know, be independent on your own, that no one will love you. It, it, whatever, you know, you're going through, it, it's not okay, you know, and... I appreciate you you bringing that up because there are, you know, men that are going to be listening to the podcast and maybe they can align with this experience and they need to know that, you know, their feelings and their body, that's valued as well. And it doesn't matter who your partner is. Nobody should be able to put hands on you. Absolutely. If you know of someone or if you yourself are undergoing this, please make sure to contact 1-800-799-7233. That's again, 1-800-799-7233. Or you can also call 210-733-8810, 210-733-8810. And that is for 24-7 assistance uh, for anyone whom you might know or you yourself who might be going through domestic violence. But that said, I, I want to talk about now the people who are attached to us who will also go through this, uh, sometimes in a direct way and sometimes in an indirect way. And those are our loved ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia, you mentioned you have a son. I would like to find out more from you as to how do you think this impacted him? 
Uh, I'm very proud to say he is very well-rounded, um, but there are still things that he says sometimes and actions that he chooses to take. I'll never know if that's because of what he experienced. And so it's my job as a parent to ensure that he has supportive services when he needs. Um, he's very in touch with his counselor at school. And aside from experiencing domestic violence, he does have, um, he is neurodiverse. And so it's also very important that he learns how to build social relationships in a very healthy way. Because of his neurodiversity, sometimes there's miscommunications or just outright misunderstandings. And so that's really important to draw attention to that. And then also my daughter, they have different fathers. And although with my daughter's father, there was never uh, physical violence, we did not talk nice to each other. And so watching my daughter nowadays, uh, her capacity for navigating certain emotions like anger, fear, and sadness is a very big challenge for her. And it's really manifested itself in a lot of emotional disturbances and outbreaks at school when she was younger, it, hiding under tables, holding on uh, to bathroom stalls to where people would have to, um, you know, drag her, drag her out. Lots of talks with the counselor. Thank goodness there's communities and schools. So that was very helpful for her. But with my daughter more so, I can see how that has really impacted her uh, emotional capacity. And when we look at uh, indicators for emotional intelligence, that's really significant. You know, if you want your child to be able to go into the world and be connected to community or uh, employers or education in a meaningful and robust way, when you have these uh, instances of abuse, even if it's verbal, that contributes to allostatic load in a person's psychology. And then you see that they disconnect themselves. And so my daughter, I see that she isolates herself very often. Um, she does have a hard time emotionally even today. And, and she's a wonderful child. She's very involved uh, in school and in orchestra. And she did ballet folklorico and solar car club and chess club, like anything and everything. And that's helped a lot. Even when she wasn't a fan of a particular activity, just her participation and getting at the end of the day to say, hey, are you going to stick with that? Or no, that wasn't really for me, helped to mitigate mm -hmm. the consequences of that allostatic load uh, experience. And I think that that's something that, you know, if you're a parent and your children have uh, seen that or been exposed to it, if there are opportunities to connect them at school or extracurriculars, please lean into that and leverage that. Faith communities are very important if you have an opportunity to participate in one of those or if you know that's what you feel called to. That's a wonderful resource. There's lots um, in the San Antonio area. So even trying to, to connect her with those just so that she can have a group of peers that are similar in age and they do a lot of community volunteerism, that's healthy for her. I truly believe that when individuals and families and communities are experiencing disconnection or isolation, the answer is connection Absolutely. and community, hands down.
Absolutely. I think it's so important. First of all, I, I want to say, Virginia, you rock. You really, really do. Your strength is amazing. The fact that you can share about these things and be so concerned for the needs of others so that others do not have to go through what you went through or if they're going through that so that they know that there is a way out. And that way out, really, it has mm-hmm. to do with them making a decision that enough is enough. I am not a punching bag. I have a life. I have a purpose. There is a reason for my Mm -hmm. life. You were not born for any of that. You were born to be a productive citizen of society, to engage, to interact, to lead, to make things happen. But many times we are trapped, right? Because that is all we know, that is all we see, that is all we hear. You are not a victim. You are a survivor. Again, I say it again. You are not a victim. You are a survivor. In order for you to be able to talk about your testimony of resilience and determination and survival and strength, you need to stand up and you need to say enough is enough. I have a life. I have dreams. I have a hope and I have a future. If you would like to find out more about our Empowerment Center, at San Antonio College, I encourage you to go to ksym.org slash SAC. That is, again, ksym.org slash S-A-C. Or you can also contact 210-486-1111, 210-486-1111, and we will get you in touch with the Empowerment Center. Once again, it's important to know that in Texas, 40.1 of women and 34.9 of men will experience some form of domestic violence in their time. So it's important for you to stand up for yourself and to know that you do have a hope and a future. This is Front and Center, recorded at the KSYM Studios on the San Antonio College campus. Front and Center is available on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and airs Monday mornings at 8.30 on KSYM 90.1 FM in San Antonio. More information on Front and Center is online at ksym.org.